Let's stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 3. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And may God bless the reading of his word as my prayer. You may be seated. We began looking at uh, three scenes last week, scenes of rebellion that demonstrated for us the catastrophically high price of rebellion among the people of God. Over and over again, the scripture warns us about rebellion and its consequences. It tells us in no uncertain terms what happens when God's people rebel against him. One of the worst things about rebellion among God's people is the way it spreads. And we'll see that today. The other is how difficult it is to get rid of once it gets started and gets established in the hearts of people. We saw that lingering rebellion that began with Korah and his followers, but it didn't end there. And here in our text this morning and in another one we'll read in a few moments, we'll see that awful time of rebellion continuing among the people of God. We can certainly explain what had them feeling the way they did, at least to a certain extent. Oh, I do not condone it. We don't condone it. God didn't condone it. The Scripture never says it's okay, but we do understand why they were so inclined toward rebelliousness. Uh, You see, in Numbers chapter 26 and verse 65, the Bible says, The Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now that promise went all the way back to Numbers chapter 14. When they came up to Kadesh and they looked into the promised land and sent the spies into the land. And they refused to go in. And it was at that moment that God promised that they would all die in the wilderness. There was a number that God had prepared for them, those that were 20 years old and above. And sure enough, as God had said, according to Numbers chapter 26, all of those people were dead. So we can kind of understand, at least, though we don't condone, we can certainly explain where this rebelliousness was coming from. Why were they so persistent in their rebellion against God and against Moses? Well, from their perspective, God and Moses had said they were going to die. And perhaps by thinking they could overthrow Moses, maybe they could get through somehow to God and they would overcome it. But folks, I'm here to tell you today that in all of recorded history, there has never been a successful revolution against God. And there never will be. It may look differently when we look around our world today. Just keep looking. Just keep looking. 
There's never been a successful rebellion that would topple God from his throne of sovereignty. There's never been one. Never will be one. Even in our world today, the whole of humanity sits under the pronounced judgment of Almighty God. God has said it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. All. Yes, I have sinned. You have sinned. All of you have sinned. The best person you know is still a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. All of humanity then exists under a pronounced sentence of death and judgment from Almighty God. Are people still rebelling against that today? Do they think somehow they're going to overcome it? Somehow it's going to apply to someone else but not to me? Is there an exception to the rule? Somebody else is a sinner but not me. Are there? Surely, surely we can somehow wiggle our way out of this. No. So we can understand, though we do not condone, we can certainly see why they were so rooted in their rebellion. Why even after everything that happened, after the ground opening up and swallowing Korah and his followers straight into the pit, the abyss, so they, they went alive straight into hell. After all of that, after Aaron's rod that budded, still... Still they rebel. Still they're rebelling against God and against Moses. God has moved them out again into the wilderness now. They've come to another place where there is no water. The people begin to complain again. Moses and Aaron took their complaint to God again. And God gave Moses and Aaron some very specific instructions. At this first Uh, Second scene, first scene of today's message of rebellion at the rock. At the rock. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Very specific instructions, not ambiguous, not cloudy, not hard to understand. You take the rod, call the people together before the rock, speak to it. Call upon it, if you will, and the rock will send forth its water. The Holy Spirit inspired commentary for us about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul said they did all drink the same spiritual drink, drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Now, it was said that that rock followed them, of course, because there had been a previous time when they drank water from the rock. 
And that was the time that God told Moses to take the rod and go out and smite the rock. And when he smote the rock then, the water came out, and it came out in abundance, and the people were saved. And many, many commentaries and commentators over the years have uh, suggested the fact that this was a picture of Christ in the sense that Christ was once smitten for our sins, and then he must be approached by one who would call upon him. But you know what? Jesus Christ, we don't have to listen to commentaries or read them. Jesus Christ himself gave us the commentary. It's in John chapter 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me. As the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, the call that Moses uh, was speaking of in this passage was an expression of believing. It was an expression of their faith. Moses then was to give them a very powerful image of the significance of believing on the rock. And that rock was Christ. And they were to express that belief by calling on him. But it didn't play out that way. It was just exactly what Jesus said. He that believeth on me. As the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That was exactly the image that was being portrayed there. For those who believe on Jesus, the rock. Instead, verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, because you did not believe me, To hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Because you did not believe. And even though God had told him so specifically what he was supposed to do. Call upon the rock. Speak to the rock. And as it always has, as it still does, to call upon the name of the Lord is just one of the ways that we express believing on Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? It is an expression, then, of our believing on Him. So when Moses refused to call on the name of the rock or call to the rock or speak to the rock, what did God say? You didn't believe on me. You didn't believe me. To hallow me. In the, in the before my people. Now Moses was careful to establish a connection, though, between his unbelief and the unbelief of the people, and he did it twice. I only give you one verse, Deuteronomy four twenty one. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. <laughs> oh, they say to err is human, and to blame somebody else is too. I tell you. 
The Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Since Moses was writing this, and he, since he said it twice, we can only conclude that there was indeed a connection between their rebellion and his. It could have been something just as simple as he was provoked. <laughs> he got angry, got mad. It could have just been that. But I think there was more to it. Moses had dealt with the rebellious people for a long time, an unbelieving people. And for some reason, though God told him to speak to the rock, for some reason, we'll never know. Uh, he thought it would be a better idea to smite the rock twice. I'll always wonder if there really wasn't something, if something didn't play out. I can just say, you rebels, I can see him up there. Close my eyes. You rebels, do I need to bring this water from the rock again? Well, he had the tried and true method. He'd already done it one time. <laughs> uh, let's do it again. After all, we stick to what we know works. I can see him taking that rod and smiting the rock. But you rebels, must I bring water from the rock? Wham! Nothing happened. I don't know if it played out that way or not. I can see it play out that way. Wham! Uh-oh. <laughs> Let me try this again. Wham! If it did play out that way, that was the first time that that rod had ever failed to do ever failed to perform the miracle since the time that Moses took that rod up by the tail after God told him to throw it down at the rock. From that time on, every time that rod came into play, a miracle happened up until this time. Now, the miracle still happened. And if he just smote it twice, bam, bam, just went that way, still the water flowed. You say, well, why did God do that? Our God is a God of grace, isn't he? And you see the God of grace working here. Those people needed water. But God immediately made a very powerful point. Rebellion is dangerous. Even if it happens in the lives of spiritual leaders. We had a great example of this danger with the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2. God had called Ezekiel as a prophet and he sent him then to the people of Israel and he warned them. Now, Ezekiel, they're not going to listen. He told them they won't hear you because, he said, they are a rebellious house. But verse 5, he says, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among, the, among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. We get the idea maybe that the children of Israel were still rebellious, you reckon? They are rebellious. But notice verse 8. 
But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. You open your mouth and eat what I give you. You see, God knew that it was going to be difficult for Ezekiel to dwell among a rebellious people, to minister to rebellious people, and not become rebellious as hell himself. It's hard for a teacher to teach a class full of people who don't care without getting to the point that they don't care. It's hard for people to be around some, a bunch of folks who are not believing God without getting drawn into that unbelief. And this is one of the greatest things that we can learn by studying this passage today because you and I live in the midst of a nation that is in a case of wholesale rebellion against God and His Word. We need to warn ourselves. Don't let it get to you. Don't become rebellious. And so God told Ezekiel, no matter whether your people listen or not, no matter whether they hear you or not, you open up the words and you pour them into your own life. Because one of the greatest ways that we can insulate ourselves against a growing rebellion in the world which you and I live in is to fill ourselves up regularly with the Word of God. We need the Word of God in our life. We need to feast on it. And that wasn't just for the people. It was for the preacher too. Ezekiel, don't you be rebellious like those people I'm sending you to. Here was Moses. Of all people, Moses got caught up in this rebellion. And because of it, God told him that he would not lead the people into the promised land. He also told him that Aaron was going to die. Now, Miriam, his sister, had already died. Aaron was certainly advanced in age, even as Miriam was, and even as Moses was. But uh, don't be confused. Aaron didn't die of old age. Aaron would die because of the judgment of God. In Numbers 20, 24, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Marbah. Let me remind you, Aaron didn't strike the rock twice. Moses did. It must have been a long trip up Mount Hor because he had to take Aaron up and Eliezer, his son, Aaron's son. He would take those priestly garments off his brother. He'd have to look him in the the eyes. He'd take that hat off his head, that mitre. Look him in the eye while they took the breastplate with the Urim and the Thummim in them and put him on his son. Take the robe, that priestly robe, off of Aaron and put it on Eliezer. We don't know if he even got to say goodbye, brother, before Aaron dropped dead. Think back with me to that time when Moses was on the mountain with God and Aaron was down there leading the people. 
And they decided that Moses was gone. He'd been gone so long. We don't know what's happened to him, Aaron. We need a God that we can see. They brought all their gold to Aaron. Remember how he fashioned a calf out of it? And when he rehearsed it to Moses, he said, You know, well, I just took all their stuff and threw it in the fire, and this calf came walking out. That sounds like some of the stuff my teenage boys and girls used to tell me. You know, they didn't come up with some amazing stories. Aaron didn't die because of that. Mm -mm. Aaron died in this rebellion. Remember I told you last week, it's amazing when you look in the passage and you see who got caught up in the rebellion. Who's going to end up dying in it? Moses, verse 28, stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. And Moses and Eliezer came down from the mount. Because you believe me not. The second scene of rebellion, we see the rock then. We've seen the episode with Korah. Then there's the episode with the rock. Moses and Aaron got caught up in it and even they rebelled against God and didn't believe and the last one is the snakes and I realize a lot of you have a little snake phobia going on I'm sorry I can't make it any easier for you today it's going to get rougher just hang on numbers 21 and 4 They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. They've become very discouraged now. And again, they are expressing their displeasure as they had before with this worthless bread. This bread from heaven. Again, we can almost sympathize with them knowing that they're under a sentence of death. Until we realize that the rock that they were to see called upon for water before them represented Jesus Christ. And that Moses and Aaron had refused to believe God at the rock. They had believed God everywhere else. But they came to the rock and they stumbled there. They refused to believe God at the rock. When they were to call upon him and express their belief in him. And now so we see that not only was that rock a picture of Christ. But the manna too was a picture of Christ. And they despised that too. It's no coincidence folks. What they were rebelling against. Again, we have the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 6. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And so that manna, you see, was just a type of the true manna. Jesus Christ, the bread that came down from heaven. And in case we would ever be confused about the fact that Jesus was speaking metaphorically in this passage, he makes it plain. He who believes on me has everlasting life. 
So when he was talking about receiving him or, or taking him or eating him as the bread that came down from heaven, that was just another metaphor, another example of what it meant. Not a metaphor as much, just another example of what it meant to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. With the water now with the manna, they would have the chance to demonstrate their faith in Jesus and instead they rebelled against it. And so God sends those fiery serpents. And what that meant was that their bite was not only deadly, but it was very painful. It was deadly and it was painful. And so when Moses cried to the Lord, they came to him and they said, verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. It's a significant thing when people say, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. We can see how this one played out as well. The people were bitten by snakes and not just a few. They were left facing certain death. But they received an incredible message. Look and live. Look and live. Look and live. That was the message. It was repeated over and over over again. Look and live. And if we wonder what that serpent represented, guess what? Yeah, we've got Jesus' own words on that one too. John chapter 3 and verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, folks, this is a sure and certain picture of salvation, and we know it because Jesus said so. Well, how does it play out? Well, first of all, of course, there was a sinful rebellion. That's not a big surprise. There was sinful rebellion. But where there was a sinful rebellion, there was a sure retribution. The fiery, painful serpents. Uh, they were getting exactly what they deserved. Listen, sin hurts and sin kills. And the serpents there were before them, just giving them exactly what sin does for us. There was sinful rebellion, and there was sure retribution. But thank God, there was a saving remedy. And that saving remedy pointed to Jesus Christ himself, and we know that. But the people came to Moses, and they said, we have sinned. That's where salvation always begins. And unfortunately, that's where many times salvation is short-circuited. Because a lot of people refuse to ever say that they have sinned. They refuse to repent. And there can be no salvation for anyone except for sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world, the Bible says, to save sinners. And unless you're willing to admit that one, you can't be saved. But it was not enough just for people to acknowledge their sin. Okay, I'm a sinner. No matter how sincere they might be in doing so, that sin had to be paid for. 
The wages of sin is death. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the sentence of death that came upon them was what? Fiery serpents. What did Moses then put up on a pole? A fiery serpent. So that the remedy was the exact representation of their sin and their judgment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, salvation is not about praying, and salvation is not about paying, and salvation is not a, something we're going to have to wait for or work for. Salvation can be expressed very simply. Look and live. Look and live. So as we saw, salvation referred to as a calling, as speaking, as whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. So also it can be simply described as looking. Looking to Jesus, again as an example of believing, look and live. Oh, Brother Rich, is, is it that simple? Yeah, that person who comes to Jesus Christ acknowledging their sin and looks to him. Jesus said it, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We look to Jesus, and when we do, we live. So many people get all caught up in how salvation feels. I, I heard one person uh, say, well, you know, I, I just got goosebumps all over when I got saved. Well, that, that's a good thing if you got goosebumps all over when you got saved. I'm glad you did. Maybe you got goosebumps when you got married. But you know, the fact that you got goosebumps did not make you married. What made you married was saying, I do. I do. You see, it's not how salvation feels that makes it genuine. It's do we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we call upon them, so that we look to him. All of these are about our faith. To him, remember Romans 5, 4 and 5. To him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Yes, it was easy to look, but it was also essential that they looked, but there was deliverance and nothing else. It was also elective. God didn't force them to look. Out of these two experiences of rebellion, then, we can make a couple of quick observations. First of all, I remind you again, rebellion runs deeply in our nation and in our world. And it's difficult to live in a world full of rebellion and surrounded by a world full of rebellion without allowing it to affect our own faith. And I'm not foolish enough to believe that here in this congregation or maybe those, someone watching from home that will not find anybody, maybe who is struggling with your faith because of the things you've seen and the things you've heard and the things that have been said. You see so many people who are rebelling against God 
If it can happen to Moses, it can happen to me. And it can happen to any one of you. Moses failed to believe at the rock. The Bible tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. (laughs) And it brought Moses to Christ too. And he refused to believe. It didn't mean Moses was lost. It didn't mean that he'd been saved at one point and lost his salvation. There's not a passage of scripture that teaches that anywhere in the word of God. It meant that Moses, instead of fulfilling God's purpose, instead rebelled against it. And it meant that Moses would not lead them into the promised land. God had Joshua who was going to do that. What Moses couldn't do, Joshua did. And you know what the New Testament Greek form of Joshua is? Joshua in the Old Testament is Jesus. In the new. Joshua did. Beautiful picture of Christ. Moses couldn't bring him into the promised land. God had Jesus, Joshua, there to do that. Yeah, he, he refused to believe God at the rock. It's an interesting time, but it didn't mean that God was through. Now, are you sure that Moses was really saved, even though he Failed to believe God at this point in time. Of course, I'm sure Moses is going to show up again in the New Testament narrative. On the Mount of Transfiguration. There he is. Yeah. You know, the worst part of getting caught up in the rebellious spirit of this age is for us to end up with somebody else's life on our hands. Remember, Aaron died because of Moses' sin. Moses' rebellion, Aaron got caught up in it. But as bad as that could be, it would even be worse to have not only someone else's life, but maybe somebody else's eternity on our conscience. Be a sad thing for you or me as a child of God to get caught up in rebellion and somebody that we could have reached, somebody we could have had impact on. In the midst of all this rebellion and sin and death, though, God moved with glorious displays of Jesus Christ. With the rebellion, then, comes the sure retribution of sin. Sin is painful. Sin is binding. Sin is blinding. Sin moves us further and further away from God and further into the evil and the darkness and the depravity. But Jesus promises us that gloriously simple remedy And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And we can still claim that promise right now. I can claim that promise because I have lifted up Jesus in this message today. And you can go out of this service saying a lot of things, but you cannot go out of this service saying that you haven't heard the message of salvation presented to you very clearly. What does it mean? I have sinned. What do I do? Look and live. Look to Jesus and live. Lifted up on the cross of Calvary, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We come together then. We lift up Jesus. That's what we do. But you know, you don't have to go all next week 
on your work day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and talk to people at work, say, well, just come to church for Sunday. Next Sunday, I guarantee you, our preacher's going to lift up Jesus. You don't have to do that because you can lift up Jesus tomorrow. You can lift up Jesus Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can lift up Jesus in your home. You can lift up Jesus in our community. And Jesus gave us a promise. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw men into myself. We have a part to play. And that part is to be a witness to Jesus Christ and his saving power. We can't even imagine a situation where a mother would have a snake-bit child. Knowing that there was an opportunity. Knowing that there was a remedy. Knowing the message, look and live. Just say, no. I'm just going to let you die in agony. No, we can't imagine such a thing. A remedy is available. Folk, the reality of sin in our world today is just as sure. The reality of death in our world today is just as sure. Look to Jesus and live. Lift up Jesus. Let's stand together, please.